Before we get stuck into the brand new episode of Alive and Kicking, I'm delighted to announce a partnership with the amazing Footy Devotion. Footy Devotion have a brilliant range of t-shirts, coasters, prints and mugs, all illustrated by the amazing team at Footy Devotion and inspired by the 1990s as well, with a special range dedicated to Italian 90. And because you listen to Alive and Kicking, the original 1990s football podcast, you can get 10% off your order. Simply use the code AK90s at the checkout and you'll get 10% off. That's AK90s, so AK90S and 10% off your order. Jobs are good at. Check out Footy Devotion on Twitter at Footy Devotion and the whole range. I've got a few myself. I've got the brilliant 3pm sweatshirt. I'm looking at a brilliant QPR print kit I've got on my wall. And there's loads and loads to choose from, from World Cups to clubs and many, many more. So check out Footy Devotion. And as always, keep it 90s. Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than two old blokes from Soldier Soldier singing some old tunes. My name's Ash Rose. You're here and once again joining us on the Alive and Kicking, the original 1990s football podcast, is the landlord of the football tavern, Mr. Ed Chambers. Ed, how was your Easter and how the devil are you, my friend? Oh, I'm very well, thanks, Ash. Uh, it's good to see you again. Um, yeah, I'm not too bad, thank you. Yeah, Easter was pretty good, actually. Although, having said that, obviously you get through the Easter with the, the kids around the, the house and stuff, you know, the oldest one not being at school. And then you see those two words that every parent dreads at the end of a holiday, and that is inset day. Oh, yeah, I know. They had them uh, on, didn't so, they? It's a cheeky... Yeah, so yeah. It's like, yeah, so it's I like have the another. same... I mean, don't get me wrong. I love my kids, but <laughs> one more day was just like, like, come on, you've got to get back to school now. You know, but yeah, the I, chocolate I gone. Yeah, yeah, same. Yeah, yeah, the chocolate had gone at that point to bribe them yeah. as well. So it was kind of like, yeah. And then and the, suddenly, the, and you know, suddenly we're deep into April, nearly May, and it's like the end of the football season. And, uh, and it's going to be a long summer because yeah, we've been used to football non-stop for the last whatever. Been, and we've been robbed of a World Cup, really. Yeah. I mean, I know it's later in the year, but we've been robbed of a World Cup summer. But I, I don't know about you, but I sort of love and hate this part of the season because I love the bit where the whole narrative starts to come together. You know, so you've you've got the the Champions League, you know, was a semi-final last night, you know, and then there's what, like, you, you, we still don't know who's going to win the Premier League. We still don't know who's going to get relegated or that third slot, shall we say. Yeah. We still don't know who's going to make, come up from the Championship other than Fulham. You know, yeah. so like Bournemouth are stuttering a bit. And then, you know, so there's who's going to make the playoffs? League One. There's there's so much you can't wait to sort of see how it pans out. But then, when, of course, when it all it's pans done. out, it's, it's, it's all gone again. It's and all you, gone you know, again. That's the, it's all gone again. And you kind of, you know, as we always say, you're kind of sitting around in the park waiting for the fixes. Yeah, we've literally said that for 20 years, my friend. Um, exactly. Yeah, so, I, I'm, the 19ness in me is hoping that Forrest overtake Bournemouth, who meet next week as well, slightly yeah. dating the podcast. They? Yeah, they play each other next midweek. So that's well, almost okay. like a, well, that's, a, that's, that's a, a game. That's, that's a must win, isn't it? Either way. Yeah. Um, but um, Q, I mean, QPR, I mean, I'm... I'm not going to. I'm not going to call you out on this, but you you said in a podcast, <laughs> uh, I think it was just before we chatted to Steve Froggett, that you said 
uh, I'll be just you, you said you said you play off, but you said really I'd like to I'd like yeah. to catch Bournemouth. And at uh, that point though, like we well, we yeah. were at the end of you know January February time, I think we'd unbeaten at the start of the year for yeah. one of the only clubs I think us and Liverpool were the only teams unbeaten. Yeah. And then March, we fell. Just, we literally fell off a cliff. Like, it, just never, t- it just took a real nosedive, didn't it? I don't. I I suspect, and I'm, this is me speculating. I have no inside knowledge that I'm. I think something is awry. Something I don't know what, because yeah. the, the fall has been so dramatic that yeah. we have had injuries. We've lost key, uh, key players, five goalkeepers as well. But yeah, the the form and the style of play has been. Yeah, it, it's it's baffling, and, and I wonder if there'll be a change over the summer. I'm not sure I'll do it because I don't know if there's an alternative out there at the moment. But the yeah. drop off has been so dramatic that I wonder if something other than what we're seeing in front of us on a Saturday or Tuesday has has happened. Yeah. But I knew um, I knew I was going to bring up on the show today just briefly. So my wife went out to the theatre on Saturday night, and I put the kids. I had the kids bed all eight o'clock. Love lovely stuff. Turned on BBC Two, Top of the Pops, 1996. You were literally was, saying what I was about to bring up, sir. Oh, right. Okay. Well, there you go. We're great minds thinking alike. Yeah. And I, I was taken just back to sort of teenage years. But with me, I don't know about you, but with, with music, I, I've i got a pretty good handle on what year a song will come out yeah, or yeah. what period of time. But with this show, I kept thinking, no, surely not. Like, surely that song wasn't in, like, could that year have got any better? Yeah. 96 like, is the is kind of the peak of the 1990s in, in, yeah, in pretty much now. everything. Like, yeah. we've said a lot on this show going back the seven years or how long I've been doing it. You know, Euro 96, everything seemed to be perfect. The music, the yeah. weather. And, and I was right watching that Top of the Pop show because I was going to bring yeah. it up and say how yeah. brilliant it was. Yeah. They talked about this hot summer and I always thought that was a mismemory that I thought, yeah. oh, well, the weather was probably the same as any other summer, but it actually yeah. was a genuinely um, yeah. quite record-breaking hot summer. And then the music, and you're right, we, me and my wife were watching the same yeah. programme. If you haven't seen yeah. this, Top of the Pops at the moment are doing so then they're in the 90s and they've probably been doing this in the 80s. And I had. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. But what they do so yeah. I'm probably not telling anything anyone knew, but an hour of a story of that year. Then they do an hour yeah. of hits and they've been yeah. throwing also that up with a documentary I think, of someone else. They've done Mariah Carey, they've done Oasis and they've yeah. done Spice yeah. Girls over the last three weeks, yeah. all of which we've consumed yeah. quite a lot. But it's been brilliant. Yeah. And you're right. And we were just every time a song hit was like, yeah. was this 96 as well? Yeah. Like this. Yeah. Like in, in some insomnia, I was like. Although there was way too much on the Somnia, like great song, yeah. but come yeah, on, it, it, yeah, it didn't like it didn't define the generation. No, thing. not like, that was like the kind of way it was. It was yeah. going on. Where yeah. was the prodigy? Like there was no well, mention. Yeah. It was. Of... It sort of got a slight mention in the documentary bit, but not really in the, no, in the like, like the, the hits bit. And I was like, hey, where where are the prodigy? But then you know there were so many songs. I was just like, no way could this be in the nineteen ninety six as well. Mm, but it, it just was because sometimes you look back and you you know with nostalgia, rose tinted glasses, and you just think. Was it as good as I think? And then you, it you actually know, you was. Watch, you know, I mean, but there again, I mean, having said that, I mean, there's probably someone who's a little bit older than us, you know, listening now, for example, that thinks, well, 1996 wasn't that good, and you know, 1980 something was probably better. Yeah. But it just depends depends on your age at that particular time. I think we were sort of mid to early teens, and it was kind of every every song just felt great. And like you say, the summer was. The summer was just amazing. And the charts were important. Like they were a thing in our lives. They meant like being number one meant something. I mean, doesn't I was having this conversation with my brother in law literally about an hour ago about how top of the pops is not on anymore. It's because the top 40 doesn't mean anything. Although I was really surprised in my head, and we will talk about football in a minute, that uh, top of the pops moved to Friday, maybe late 90s, maybe even into the 2000s. The fact they moved to a Friday 
1996 i was shocked because yeah, yeah, yeah. that's for me that's what killed it because people yeah. weren't watching it anymore first he's yeah. seven o'clock before he's denders that was yeah. that was yeah. top of the pops time it was up, yeah it was up, was it up against tfi friday no it'd been later because tfi friday later, was like was six ish wasn't it i think yeah, top of the pops yeah, was always yeah, at yeah. seven or it right. might have been half seven actually when they moved to friday yeah. so that's right yeah. it would have been up against cory which so yeah. yeah yeah but no I you're mean, right if you're Obviously, you're fans of the 90s because you're listening to the show. So I implore you to, I think that obviously we're going this Saturday night as we record is 1997, which is another yeah. a great year of music, um, yeah. mainly because Hanson Umbop was out and that's a tune. So. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I mean, I can't wait to tune in and see Chumbawamba. I yeah. Mean, yeah. No, it's just, yeah. Hey, um, it was a, it was a time it, it had a good little bit on bringing it round to football. Obviously, year 96, it talked to, you know, we talked about three lions, but also England's Irie, which is a song that everyone always forgets by Black Grape. Right. And it's actually all right. Like, if right. it hadn't been for Three Lions, it's a decent tune. Like, it's got a good hook. It's got Keith Allen on it. It's one yes. that I always bring up and people go, Black Grape. Although yeah. I sometimes always think it comes out in 98. I always forget it was actually 96. Cut the jig up without like this. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> it's right. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, that's, <laughs> that's yeah. Anyway, we, we, uh, we digress. We've gone way. Watch it. I mean, yeah. Watch it. Um, we've got another great person from 1996. I'm sure he did something in 1996. I was trying to link it, but let's that's, that's, that's yeah. just go with it. We've got a guest on today's show as well. Um, not just me and Ed rambling on about Top of the Pops. So we're going to bring him in in just a second. Um, he's former Aston Villa, Portsmouth, Sheffield Wednesday, some loan spell somewhere. Um, very 90s. When I, I, you know, Guy Whittingham, Ed, I mean, very quickly before we bring him in, what, you know, what are your memories of Guy? I remember him being quite a sort of I, I liken him to someone like Gary Penrice kind of always in the box someone who's a reliable goal scorer he had a great strike rate at Portsmouth how, how, what, what do you remember about Guy Whittingham what I remember about Guy Whittingham uh, Ash is uh, goals yeah and more goals and more goals uh, the season was 92-93 I think where he he scored over 40 goals yeah. and you know I, th- I think um, it often you know on the nostalgia sites on Twitter you often see like the sort of the, the, the goal scoring charts from that year and there's there's people in their 20s and stuff you know goal yeah. wise and you think oh that's a pretty decent return then you look at Guy Whittingham and it's like 42 43 something like that and you just think wow I mean that's that's pretty impressive so I remember that and then I remember him at Villa but I think I think 90s wise I remember him more being at Sheffield Wednesday yeah. than, I than, did, than, did, than Villa yeah if I'm honest. I, I, I mean did, I don't get me wrong I remember him going to Villa I yeah. just in terms it's, of in my head he's got a Sheffield Wednesday kit on yeah, I remember him like a bright orange one for some reason. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if he, he would have been there well. at, at that club at that time. I'm sure he was, but that you know maybe we'll ask him. But um, I'll, I'll definitely I'll mention the uh, the Merlin sticker because I had a lot of um, Guy Whittingham's uh, floating around my swaps yeah. for some reason. So we'll, uh, yeah. we'll definitely mention that. Um, so let's bring him. Um, so that's talk here on Alive and Kicking to former Portsmouth, Aston Villa, Sheffield Wednesday striker. Here's us talking to Guy Whittingham. Cue the music. <laughs> Joining us on the show now, pleasure to have him on Alive and Kicking. He is former Portsmouth, Aston Villa, Sheffield Wednesday striker, a proper name from the 90s we like to, to get on this show. Guy Whittingham, welcome to the show, Guy. How are you doing? 
Very well, thank you. And thank you for inviting me. It's uh, nice to be remembered from the 90s. Yeah, well, it's the decade that changed football, as we say, and we'll get into a lot of how you, uh, your role in it. But where are you now? What, does, what, are Guy, what is Guy Whittingham doing in 2022? Okay, so uh, at this moment in time, I'm working for the Football Association. Uh, I'm a coach developer. I work in a couple of Premier League academies and also lead the uh, lead the pro license course and the alumni uh, get-togethers that we have. So, yeah, I'm in football. Uh, I can be watching under nines to first team Champions League, you know, any time throughout the season. I'm, I'm very privileged to be doing what I'm doing. Just, have you still got links to Portsmouth? Of course, we'll talk a lot about Portsmouth. Do you still look out for them? Obviously, we were talking before we started recording. They had a great win last night to date the podcast. But how are you still quite linked to that club? Yeah, I, I, I do the uh, the local radio, BBC Radio, so I'm the summariser for that. So home and away. I think I've missed five games this season. So, yeah, it's uh, it's very much. I think when, whenever you're uh, at a club, uh, for the amount of time that I was at Portsmouth with the, with the two spells I had, you, you become a fan. Um, and it's great to see them home away. Frustrated this season, but it's it's great to follow them. And it's great for my job as well, being able to see first-team football week in, week out. Ed, are there many people in the in the tavern, Portsmouth fans? We haven't talked much yeah. about Portsmouth on this. Yeah, so, um, yeah, good morning, Guy. Um, just, to, just to explain briefly that I run a football pub on Twitter. I know it sounds ridiculous, but it's... It's 2022, people. It's 2022, <laughs> and I set it up during lockdown because I couldn't go for a pint. Um, so I just just talk about football in there, really. So, yeah, we've got quite a few Portsmouth fans in, actually, and a few, a few of them are a bit, uh, yeah, as you say, jolly this morning after beating Wigan last night. Um, obviously, being you know, 2-0 down as the team were and then coming back in that short space of time for 3-2. For so, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting into a bit of Pompey discussion, really, which is probably where I think they were, we'll start. The majority of fans were just pleased last night that they couldn't party at Fratton Park because yeah. Fratton Park won a party for the right reasons. You know exactly, I mean? yeah. And they were just pleased that they weren't able to open the champagne bottles that they brought. Yeah, it's always a bit. It's always a bit of a choker when an, when another team celebrates on your patch, and that yeah. was that's. Keeping have had that a lot. Like I think I've seen at least three teams win the league at Loftus Road in in my supporting, and it's really? yeah, it's, yeah, it's such a deflating. You're kind of like yeah, it is. Uh, yeah. West Brom for sure. I think Newcastle might have done it as well. But yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, it's definitely not wrong. You want to be on the right end of it for sure. Um, but let's talk the 1990s then, obviously. Um, Guy, I mean, I always, I mean, it's always different. The, the sort of education players get in the 1990s to get to where they are. How you were in the army, I read, and then you were at Yeovil. How did you end up probably your first kind of, you know, where we would know the name Guy Whitton? How did you end up at Portsmouth? And how did that connection start from your days in the army and through, I think you were at Yeovil, weren't you, before that? Yeah. Yeah, so um, I'd been out to Germany um, earlier in the 80s and I came back over this country in 86 and just started started playing. Uh, you know, Army's, Army just loved sportsmen yeah. at the time. The Chris Akabusi was, was in at the same time as well. Oh, okay. So any publicity they get from Army Army people playing football is or, or sport and successfully is great for them and their recruitment. So I came back over to this country in 86, started playing army football, combined services football. Um, and then my first team the year before Yeovil was Oxford City. Uh, and then and then I moved on to Yeovil, uh, sorry, Waterlooville, which is now having Waterlooville. Yeah. Started the 88-89 uh, season with them. Uh, and then after three months, got a move to Yeovil. 
and so out the rest of the season there. But in the meantime, because we were based uh, at Borden, which is just above Petersfield, one or, or the uh, the unit coach who took me week in week out for coaching, army coach, his son was in the uh, school of excellence as it was then at, at Portsmouth, and he was down there watching his son one night. And Alan Ball, you know, his love for football was along watching the academy players, and he just said to him, "I've got a couple of guys in the army." you need to come up and watch. Um, this was sort of, uh, I would say, two or three months into the 88-89 season. Um, and I understand that from later that John Gregory came up to one of the games uh, and watched. And um, and then on the Boxing Day, I think it was, Alan, Alan Ball got the sack. So there's me, you know, my, the coach had told me that Alan Ball was sending someone up to watch. I just presumed since he'd gone, that would be the end of it. But, to be fair to John Gregory, he kept, they invited me down towards the end of the season. I played a couple of reserve team games. Um, and then they they signed me, you know, that summer of, of 89, which was, you know, as a, as a kid, you know, I, I wrote to some clubs. Yeah. I was playing in some county cup finals, but never, never, you know, spotted or had the chance to go on trial anywhere. So, you know, at 24, it was uh, it was almost a last chance alone sort of thing. So when they said, you know, do you want to sign? It was like, yep, yeah, I want to sign. Army, what are you going to do for me? And they they were they were really, you know, they were great. They just said, look, you know, it's a great opportunity. It's good for us. Um, you can you know, go and sign. If after a year if it doesn't work out, you can come back in same job, same role. So I had nothing to lose. You know, it was a great opportunity. So it's very different to kind of, you know, we spoke to a lot of footballers on the show that come through the YTS, they do the chores, they build them up. You know, we laugh about how many tips they get from the pros and, and things like that. So you coming in at kind of 24, which you observe that today's football, that's quite an old age. You look at like, I was like watching Phil Foden last night at 21 playing in the Champions League <laughs> final, which is yeah. just uh, semi-final, it's ridiculous. So was it, was it different in terms of, did they treat you, the players treat you different because you hadn't come that route or was it not like that at that point? Yeah, listen, I think, you know, when you get your football education as such, your players that come through at my time, you know, that age, it was the School of Excellence and now it's the Academy. Um, they are uh, uh, flooded with football. I had, a, I had a bit of a different education coming in. And I think it's what made me the player I was. Mm -hmm. So all types of sports at school and all types of sports when I joined the Army. Sports afternoon is a Wednesday afternoon. I went to play rugby, funnily enough. Uh, and was told there was too many. Uh, so I went up, they said, football's just down the road. You need to go down to football. And then, you know, you're sort of signposting in one direction then. And, yeah. you know, it was mostly football, but I still had the opportunity to do athletics, to do cricket, to do, you know, send the side rugby at, at the football season. So I was always a sportsman of different types. And the army also brings, as we probably expect, a certain amount of discipline. Yeah. Uh, and teamship as well, you know, real being, you know, a member of a team, you have to rely on others. So I think that part of my football education really worked well and really helped me as a player. Um, and people have often said, you wish you'd gone into football earlier. I don't really, because I don't think I'd have had the same experiences. Yeah. Um, and life is about experiences, right? You know, as we get older, we look back with fond memories on the good stuff we do. And although there were some, you know, bad times in football and bad times in the army, you remember the good times, the camaraderie, uh, from both sets, from the army and from football, and probably better mates in the army from my army days than I had in football because you're always moving everywhere. Yeah. Um, but altogether, as as far as the football education was concerned, that 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 was it. And 
you know, the, the players, when I, when I signed out and went to Portsmouth, the players were, well, John Gregory had just brought in, uh, he wanted everybody to turn up in, in collar and tie. Okay. You know, when you came into the training ground, you had to have collar and tie on. And obviously, you know, you had some some players there that just <laughs> didn't didn't see the sense in that and wouldn't do it. But for me, I could listen. I'll come in a fancy dress if you want. I'm 24. Yeah. You just yeah. signed from the army. <laughs> I don't care how you want me to turn up. I'm here. I'm having a go at it. And what was Portsmouth like as a club at that point? Because you know we'd get to know them probably more in the 90s of the cup run, which we'll talk about in a minute. But I mean, what what was the club like in terms of stature, in terms of where they'd been in the past few seasons? What what did you find it? They've been into champion in the champion, what known, what's known now as a championship division two at the top yeah. for quite a while. They had they had got up to the first division uh, and under Adam Ball, yeah. um, but they got relegated the season before I'd I'd i joined them. Um so um, you know, they they'd had a taste of top level football, although obviously completely different guys to what it is now. Yeah. Uh, but it mainly been a championship side again, but you know, history shows that they've been up and down those leagues far before, you know, this current. Um, you know, decade um, or, or you know, period of football that, that's been you know almost the same, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I, can I can I just ask? I'll just jump in at this point. Yeah, go on. Can, I, can I just ask you about um, you know you, you're turning up now at Portsmouth at the age of 24, which Ash has already said is you know is quite is quite old to be to to be getting into football. Was there a part of you that when when you turned up at training on the first day, for example? Did you think, wow, I've, I've literally gone from the army, from non-league, and now I'm in what, as you say, is championship level? That's quite. That's actually quite a leap um, in terms of league. And was there a bit of you that thought, blimey, like, um, were you nervous, or were you just kind of, yeah. I, I, my, the talent I have, I do belong in this environment? Yeah, nervous for sure. I think, yeah. um, <clears throat> I think throughout throughout my career, whatever it's been doing. And most people, I would, I would say, you want to test yourself for that at the highest you can. You know, just I'd rather know that I've had a go and not been able to do it, rather than always think, I wonder if I could have. Yeah. Um, so every level I'd played football at, so through, I mean, the, the year before I came out, I played for seven different teams, right? From ranging from the army unit side up until you know Pompey reserves, combined services, and every level I was scoring goals and at Yeovil. Right. You know, yep. Waterlooville with our old Beza Homes, which is the National South now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Yeovil were the conference, which is obviously in the National League now. Yeah. And every level I've played, I'd, I'd been successful in scoring goals. So I wanted to keep testing myself, but felt confident that, okay, it's, it's, it's a step up in level because it's not just one level, as you said, it's it's three levels. Yeah. Um, and I'd back myself that I could I could score the goals if I was if I was given the opportunity. Yeah, so there was a there was, but, so essentially there was confidence in the ability, but obviously a, yeah. a sort of a, a type of nervousness because you are making that making that leap. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And you had you had uh, Terry Connor and Warren Aspinall at, at the club at the time, who were the yeah. two yeah. sort of main strikers. So yeah. you know, you look at that and think, oh, well, I've got to I've got to try and get past them. And it happened to me later on at the Villa, as I'm sure we'll come on to the same sort of feeling with. Danny Nax and Dean Saunders and Dwight York, you know. That's a trio, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, yeah, but but you have to you have to feel in, in football, you haven't got room to be um doubt yourself if you yeah. want to do well. Yeah. You can't you, you know, because it's it's about um the the desire you have and the willingness to to pursue what you want to achieve. Yeah. I think Absolutely. the first as as I've already alluded to, I think the first 
time we all kind of as a collective growing up remember that Portsmouth team was obviously the cup run which was 1991-92 season where they got all the way to the famous semi-final against Liverpool what are your main memories and I always wonder when a team that aren't a top flight team when they go on these runs when at what point do you start thinking hang on we, we, we could, you know, we could go far in this competition because we all start the FA Cup, unless you keep your eye, we've got a terrible record in it. But thinking that they might get like somewhere, you know, just a few, a few games, with a bit of luck, we might get there. What, what do you, what are your main memories of that cup run and how it progressed through that season? Yeah, um, that, that season was a sort of start and stop season for me because a couple of injuries. So I never got a decent run, rightly so, because my form wasn't good enough. Um, you had Colin Clark and Darren Anderton, yeah. You know, they went up to Middlesbrough and won there. And then you got Forrest at home in the quarterfinal. Alan McLaughlin sneaks a 1-0 win. Um, you know, and then you start thinking, well, why not? Because mm-hmm. I think was I think it was Sunderland who, who were going well, you know, yes. again from yeah. Division One there at the yeah. same time. John Byrne, um, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, there's there's two division, uh, sorry, division two as it was then clubs. You think, well, you know, this could be this could be a final. So why not them and why not us? Yeah. Um and then obviously, you know, you get drawn against Liverpool in the in the semi-final and it's just bedlam around the place. And, it, and the, but that's that's the good thing, you know, for a for a, for a city like Portsmouth to have you know success in the FA Cup and then the whole the whole island of Portsmouth, Portsy just you know erupts and everything's about football and it's a community that just loves its football. How how good was Darren Anderton at that point? Is because if he was a young player, that was his kind of breakthrough moment. He'd go to Spurs the following season. I can still see, I can still see him play. You know, his Langy style for Paul Smith. Did you? How good was he at that age? And did you know, as 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 teammates, that he'd go on to do you know play in World Cups and, and things like that? Could you see it? Yeah, you can see it. I don't. I don't think you know. You can players players know when there's a, an exceptional player around you. The first the first sort of instinct for me was pre season, and because I was the next. PTI in the army, I was normally up the front somewhere yeah. pre-season and Darren Anderson, the season he came in, blew a lot away. Right. Blew a lot of players yeah. away with his, with his fitness. And you start thinking, mm, he's, mm. This, this lad could be something yeah. here. Uh, and then and then in training, scores, scores lots of goals and is one of the best players nearly every training session when there's little five-a-sides or whatever it is. So, Player, players know it's like it's like when players when the academy players now go up to the first team and train it's a good indication for managers because if the if the players are having him and they pass the ball to him and they trust him then you know you've got a decent player on your hand and that that was the same then yeah no i remember i remember it vividly in that semi-final you came on in both games didn't you as, as a substitute in that semi-final which were played at highbury and villa park which we always say ad nauseum in this show, all semi-finals should be played at neutral grounds. This Wembley nonsense is, is not for us, for sure. Um, you went out on penalties. I, I was going to ask you, were you down? Because I know Portsmouth missed three of the, of the four penalties. Were you, as a striker, I always assume that the, you'd probably be in the mix. Were you down to take a penalty in that? No, Jim Smith had planned that it would go to um, go past the five penalties. Oh, okay. And I, and I was the first of a sudden death. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that was the pressure for me. No, yeah. I no, I wasn't down. Uh, and we hadn't really talked about the sudden death one, to be honest. Um, we had, you know, several notable um, uh, penalty takers at the time, John Barris and Warren Raspin or Martin Cool. So I wasn't, I wasn't down in one of them at the time. Yeah. Um, Guy, can I just um, take you back just one step to the, to the game at Highbury, the first game? Um, in the semi-final because 
um i love like personally speaking i absolutely love the fa cup i adore it i still love it now and try to try to you know live it as much as i lived it back in the early 90s um what's it kind of like really because i think a lot of people would like to play in an fa cup semi-final never have the opportunity to do so i mean i can remember vividly that day that the north bank at um ivory i think was full of liverpool and the other end was the clock end was full of Portsmouth supporters, the noise, the balloons, everything that goes with it was for you. I mean, I appreciate you were on the on the bench at the time, but was it just a massive occasion? Yeah, of course. I mean, the whole the whole build up to it, you know, the week before, you know, things get organised that never usually happen. So you have a press day, you know, yes. you have a, you have we we had a golf day and then a press day, um, you know, and then you know you you're away, you you go away for the um, for a couple of nights before. Um, up to London to hotel to prep for the game. Uh, the, the journey in is just well. I mean, going back before that, it's it's what's around the city as well. Yeah, you know all the posters, all the flags, all the you know yeah. everything hanging out the windows. Wembley, here we come! All that sort of stuff. It's it's the whole build up. The local press is all over it. Wherever you walk down the streets, everybody's wishing you luck. It, yeah. it engulfs it engulfs the city. That's what it does. Um, yeah. And then the, the day itself is, you know, you're full of probably more tension than ever because it's a big game. Um, you're going to Highbury, which you've not been to because you're playing in, you know, the, the second tier um, mm-hmm. of the game. <clears throat> um, you arrive at you arrive at Highbury. You've heard about the famous marbles in the entrance hall and that sort of stuff. You see all that, the grandeur of it all, and then you walk out, um, and there's just lot like. You know, when you go out for the game, there's just ticker tape everywhere. The whole, the whole yeah. of that clock end, the ticker tape was just an amazing thing to see. You know, and the roar, just yeah. you know, and, and and that, you know, then that leads into the game, obviously, and what happens in the game, and you know, the whole journey of the semi final and the ticker tape of the semi final, and the, and the Villa, you know, Park game is it follows the same pattern as the game before. You know, with the you know, the preparations for it, the more interest from the from the from the media because of the result mm. at Highbury. Um and, and again, you know, the town just going mad. Yeah. It obviously led on to the, the following season as well, which for both Portsmouth and yourself was kind of a standout season. They finished third, unfortunately losing in the playoffs. But you scored 47 goals for Portsmouth that season. And it's which is quite permanent to this season actually, which I realized last night that Alexander Mitrovic, who is now on yeah. 41 league goals, I believe. If he scores one more, he overtakes your 42-goal record, which I believe was from that season. And before that, we're looking at the 50. So kind of modern-day record. Yeah. What was it about that season? Is it just one of those, you know, purple patch seasons where everything you seem to touch goes in and the confidence builds? What? How, how did you get on that sort of massive goal-scoring streak? If we go back to that, that season we're talking about with the cup run, um, I'd had a couple of those injuries. And before before in the army, I'd always been, I was a PTI, so I, I knew my fitness, I knew my levels, I knew what I could and couldn't do. And as I said, I, I played 100 games the season before I joined Portsmouth for seven different teams. So, uh, you know, I knew I knew what my fitness levels were and I just felt <clears throat> the season before so that... Um, I just, I just felt I hadn't, I hadn't done myself justice in terms of fitness. I was picking yeah. up too many niggling injuries, so my, I'd felt my body wasn't strong enough. So I went out and found a, a, an athletics coach, um, a guy called Arvel Lowe, who was working with Team Solent 
at the time, an athletics club down here, uh, and just approached him and said, look, I want to do two weeks of pre-season before pre-season. Um, and that's what I did. I met him at, um, at the athletics track down in Portsmouth, the Mountbatten Centre. Um, and he took me through a lot of drills. We did some sprinting drills. Um, actually met Roger Black. Uh, he was he was down there training, so I met up with him one time. So you've got Chris Hakabusi, Roger Black. Were you just building the, the GB <laughs> squad from 1992? <laughs> <laughs> it's only, only Limford left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I was on the athletics track for two weeks. Um, and then so started pre-season already pretty fit and pretty yeah. strong athletically. And I think that just led into the season. Had a season without a major injury or even niggling injuries. And then, of course, you've got the players I played alongside with. I mean, you know, the signing of Paul Walsh was just yeah, you know, yeah. master stroke from, from Jim Smith because, you know, he was the fulcrum for everything. And he, people thought, oh, here we go, a Premier League player just coming down. He's in his 30s. He's just going to, you know, have an easy time. They couldn't be more wrong. Could not be more wrong. What, what a player. I mean, his graft was just unbelievable. And, and what he was able to do was take a lot of attention off me, I think, as well. And the way Jim set up the, the team to get crosses in the box was, you know, what I, what I, what I was fed off. Yeah. Great, 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 you know, great players to play alongside. Adam McLaughlin. You yeah. need those midfield players that make the boxes, make late yes. runs in the boxes as a striker. Yeah. Because they take this, suddenly they take an attention off you and you've got yeah. that half a second or that slight you know, movement that gets you that opportunity. Crosses on the ball, Mark Chamberlain, you know. Mm. Um, Some good names uh, there. Warren yeah. Neal, you'll know Warren Neal from his QPR days. Yeah, I mean, yeah, what a totally. fullback. Yeah. You know, an attacking fullback, great cross of the ball. Ray Daniel on the other side, great cross of the ball. So we had some, we had some good players that could, you know, create chances for me. Mm. And do you look at Mitrovic now and just hope that he doesn't play the last couple of games of the season? <laughs> and, and you're well, able yeah, to he's got... Yeah, he's got one goal to equal it and two yeah. goals to beat it with two games to go. So, listen, I, I've said on 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 one or two things that I've been asked about because obviously he's brought the attention to it mm. that I'm pleased for him, but I'm more pleased for him that he's going to get a promotion or has got promotion. Yeah, with that because that a goal tally of that amount deserves promotion. Yeah, we unfortunately and... didn't get it. It was done on uh, goal scored that season. Yeah, that ironically, season changed it to goal scored. And yeah. West Ham had scored more goals than us, yeah. ironically. Yeah, yeah, Jim Smith always miss, blames me because I missed two penalties that season. <laughs> <laughs> so he always, I mean, tongue in cheek, God bless him, but he always blamed yeah. me. You know, I, I can I can come back with a 5-5 we had at Oxford when we were 4-2 up and 5-3 up with about yeah, seven yeah. minutes to go. So, And it's one but, yeah, goal, I mean, isn't it? I've just looked at the table. They went up on one yeah. goal. I mean, guys, yeah, that, absolutely. That, that is, I mean, in terms of, you know, in terms of the psyche of sort of supporters and players, like supporters are obviously absolutely gutted that you're not going up on the last day of the season because, I mean, in theory, you've you've played superb football throughout the year. You've scored all those goals. Do do the players think exactly the same? Were you were you like were you absolutely gutted, or was there a bit of you that thought, right, right, okay, we're not we've not gone up that way. Let's try and get up via the playoffs. I mean, how does that? How does that work in terms of the psyche, I suppose? Yeah, I think there's a few things there. So I think if I remember rightly, Leicester, we played in the in the first playoff and that they were 12 points behind us, I think. Something yeah, like no, that. Uh, yeah. So so we said to ourselves, hey, come on, let, let's get at it now. The caveat to that is we played Sunderland and Paul Walsh and Guy Butters have got sent off. Mm-hmm. Ah. So they weren't available. Yeah. 
Two experienced you know, so heads. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're going out there thinking, you know, we're, we're without, you know, two mainstay players here that would be in the team week in, week out if they were fit yeah. or available. And so that was that was a massive blow, not having, especially Walsh, because he wasn't available for either game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was, you know, that was a huge blow to us. So although we sort of went out, I suppose, looking back with every confidence that we can do it, it was, it was, you know, the back of our minds, we were going out thinking, you know, we're not as good as we have been here. It must the players uh, that are missing. Do you look at Swindon the following season and obviously they have the worst record points in Premier League history and think that that Portsmouth team possibly could have done better than, no disrespect to that Swindon team, because you finished so far above them. Do you think you probably would have had a better fist at the Premier League? Yeah, who knows? I think, um, I, I, you know... It, Undoubtedly, if we'd gone up, I, I wouldn't. Have, I, there was a contract ready for me, which I would yeah. have signed if we'd if we'd gone up, of course. But again, going back to what I said before, I think you always have to try and test yourself at the highest level. And after that, those goals scored that season, I wasn't going to get a better chance to play in yeah. the Premier League. Uh, you know, it was it was in its infancy. It was his second year, I think that that um, that yeah. was the first year. Yeah. So you know, I think um, yeah, I would have I would have I would have stayed there and. You know who knows where you go after that, but would they have stayed up? I, I, I've talked to I've talked to many coaches afterwards, and I, I think there would have had to be a bit of money spent to support yeah. that squad. Yeah. Before we talk about moving to Villa, I just, there was one little note I wanted to ask you about that night two night three season. Portsmouth win the Anglo Italian Cup, which is a tournament that we often kind of look <laughs> at. Congratulations. Yeah, kind of <laughs> weird tinted rose glasses. What what was that like? How did the players take that competition? It was a very odd, very nineties. I know they played in the eighties, but I think it even changed even in the nineties competition. How did you view that? And did you enjoy testing your wits against which were Serie B teams at the time? Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, it was, it was a great experience. You know, to go to go to Italy and play a play a couple of teams in, the, in that competition out in Italy, experience, you know, a different type of football. Um, yeah, I think no matter where you play or what level it is, to, to be able to test yourself in a different environment against, yeah. you know, a foreign team is, can always benefit you. Um, I suppose it was it was a bit of a, um, a pressure off situation, I yeah. suppose, where you could go out and enjoy, you know, it's an Anglo-Italian club, as you said, is, there's not a great deal of relevance to it. But <laughs> it is on this podcast, was, don't worry. <laughs> but for, for, yeah, for us, well, for me especially, I enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's talk about what you said moving to Villa there that summer. Obviously, it, it, it would be, you deserved your chance. Scoring that amount of goals in, that, in the second tier. I, I imagine there were a few clubs, was there? Did you speak to anyone else or was Villa the choice that you were given? How, how did the move take place? Yeah, I, I suppose my, my granddad was a Villa fan. Oh, okay. So, uh, so I think they were always going to be uh, probably my favourite ones to to go to. Um, Sheffield Wednesday also came in um, at the time um, okay. with Trevor Francis being there as well at the same time. So, um, but Villa Villa was my, was my first choice at that moment in time. Probably persuaded by the fact that my granddad was a, was a fan of theirs, and they just finished second, of course, as well in the in the Premier yes, League as well. That, so again, yeah, absolutely, yeah in the inaugural season. And you mentioned that the trio earlier. I mean, could you notice the squad as you in- introduced yourself to this and the, the players, because Paul McGrath was there at that point, who yeah. just, I think he'd just yeah. been player of the season as well. Could I mean, yeah, notice? I think we had half the Irish side there. Yeah. <laughs> Andy Towns had his side, Steve Staunton, Ray Hatton. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, they're, they're, I mean, you know, a lot of internationals, you know, you're stepping into a team now that's got a lot of internationals have got the ability 
and the attitude, you know, to, to what it takes to be a to be a Premier League player. And as you said, they just finished second, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so yeah, you know, personally, um, and I, I never I never really realized, I don't think, until I left Aston Villa and went to Sheffield Wednesday, what a huge club it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's nothing against Sheffield Wednesday. Um, but and I'm not talking about, I mean, obviously. European champions is all in the history of Aston Villa. But in terms of the ground itself as well, with all the corporate boxes, Sheffield Wednesday I went to, and, it, you know, different because it wasn't the type of um, area that, that needed a lot of corporate boxes, although they've obviously got them now and they improved that just after I left. But at the time, Villa's, you know, match day was just incredible. We've had, I've had a couple of Villa fans ask us on our Twitter feed, actually, what... What happened at Villa for you that never quite worked out? Because I know you went on loan later in that in that first season as well. And then Brian Little followed Big Ron as well. What for you never quite worked for you at Aston Villa? Uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, first and foremost, you have, you have to look at the competition I was up against. So yeah. Had, as I said earlier, Dean Saunders, Danny Atkinson, Dwight York. Um, and I played lots of games with Dwight, but in reserves, as yeah. reserves used to be there, it doesn't yeah. almost exist now. Um, you know, they call them B teams almost. Um, but for, for me personally, in terms of learning football, I learned a great deal there. Yeah, I learned uh, I learned the attitude you needed to be uh, to be. I, I thought I had a good attitude anyway, but um, almost a ruthlessness as as a as a person you had to be to to be a top level player uh, on the pitch. Yeah, you know, um, and, and and again, I. I I'd like to think my football ability improved there because you were training with internationals every single day. Yeah. Uh, in terms of not playing so many games, um, you know, it's it's what fits, isn't it? You yeah. know, the manager brings you in, you know, you, you hope to get yourself in the team. You're you're playing up against, you know, Dean Saunders, you know, Welsh international, Dalian Atkinson, power of a man with yeah. great underrated ability. as well. We God always say that on this Under, show. Totally so underrated. Totally. His his his, uh, his ability to score goals and take people on and hold the ball up was just fantastic, um, you know. And again, Dwight, you know, I don't have to talk too much about Dwight and what he went on to achieve. But there's some stiff competition there, and you know, you've got to do well when you get a chance. And that's what I mean about being ruthless. You get a chance, yeah. you've got to take it. Uh, and probably didn't take that chance enough when I was there. You know, you feel you're doing well. Um, I remember scoring one goal, uh, started a game, scored, and I was dropped for the next game. And I was in that position where. You know, through my career up to then, if I'd scored in the game, yeah. I, was, I wasn't dropped. Yeah. You know, it's then understanding that you now there's Dean Saunders or Dalian Atkinson coming back in. Well done, you've done very well. Now exactly. make way for these. And yeah. you know, that's that's the way it was. But if you if you put yourself, guy, back then in today's game, you're probably a victim of the fact that there weren't as many substitutes on the bench back then as there mm-hmm. are in today's game. You've got maybe two two subs back then, maybe maximum of yeah, three. First, I mean, you look now, it's gone, it, it went from five to seven. There's t- I think it's nine now, is it nine? And yeah, then there's talk of yeah. bringing five players on every week. You would have played more. I think you would have played more, but judging by what you're saying, what you're saying there. Well, the first game of the season, that season when I went there, funnily enough, was QPR at home. Uh, yeah, I remember, yeah. I think it was 3-1. Yeah. Where the, we wore the black uh, kit, yeah, 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 and I was, I was on, I was actually one of the two on the bench. I remember right. sitting on the bench, thinking, "How the heck am I going to get myself into this team?" <laughs> <Exactly>. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was quite, quite incredible. 
Yeah, that was one of my bad days, guy. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, just yeah. just one one other quick question on on Villa. Um, we had uh, probably an ex teammate of yours actually on um, a couple of weeks ago, um, Steve Froggett. Yeah, uh, I think Steve was there at the same time as yourself. Um, yeah, big, Ron At- big Ron Atkinson to play for Big Ron was probably an interesting experience. Now Steve told us that Big Ron said to him, "Just go out and entertain me," and I think that was pretty much the only tactical advice Big Ron ever gave to Steve Pocket. <laughs> Is that your was that your kind of experience of Big Ron? Like the coaching was done by other people. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, he, he'd come out on a on a uh, on a on a Friday, set plays, that sort of stuff. He'd always be out. He'd have, I'm sure Froggy told you about his little five-a-sides when he used to play all the time on, yeah. on, on Little Wembley, that sort of yeah, stuff. Um, he, did, he enjoyed yeah. that. Um, but yeah, he was he was a motivator, really, I think. Um, you know, he's, he's obviously got sound tactical knowledge, otherwise he wouldn't have been in the game as long as he was. But yeah. he was a motivator. And, and for me, the way he tried to motivate me was going to improve me wrong. Yeah. That was that was his system with me, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, you know, I think as as players, you always like the managers that play you a lot. <laughs> so he wouldn't be top of my list, yeah. You know, but of he course. wouldn't be bottom. Mm. You know, yeah. so um, you know, felt always got on well with him uh, as as a person, yeah, for sure. But he was he was a oh, oh we've got a guest, along, <laughs> got a guest. yeah. Um, no, he was he was all he was a motivator for me. That's what he. That's how he. You know, ask people to play, and and what I thought what he did really well was, and I was talk, we were talking about the players there. He brought in players that, um, you know, Andy Townsend, your Dean Saunders, big characters. Yeah, you know, big characters that could get about people and get them at it. I suppose in in football terms. You played under a few big characters, though, manager-wise as well, didn't you? You think about Jim Smith and, and as you say, Ron Axon. Was Graham Taylor there when you were at Wolves? Was that who you played under? Yeah, Graham yeah. was there. Yeah, yeah, Those he was there. Um, big 90s names yeah. you played under. Frank Burrows at uh, Ports as well. Oh, you wow. Know, There's a, a name, yeah. yeah. He was a but yeah, big character, Frank. Yeah, really, really, really good guy. Yeah, yeah so I did. I mean, I think I had 13 managers, something like that, in 10 years as a player. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps I should look at myself. A bit. <laughs> I think it's the nature of the game, especially you've got late 90s. Um, we'd be remiss if we didn't briefly talk about your Wednesday days, which I think you're a bit of a cult hero down there. I, God, you know, my first memory when I when I spoke to you and saw you on Twitter and stuff is the is the Panini sti- uh, the Merlin sticker. I was you were yeah, one yeah. of the Merlin stickers that seemed to I always got, and I yeah, had like six, <laughs> I don't know why. And you couldn't and you couldn't swap it with anybody. No, no. everyone had a Guy Whittingham <laughs> sticker. I don't know why. I don't know if they made more of you. I don't know. Maybe it was the hair. I don't know, guys. Still no, no you, Ash. You've probably, no, you, Ash. You've probably still got one. Um, I've still got the book somewhere. somewhere. It's down there. Yeah, yeah don't worry. Yeah, it's, still, it's still locked away. And I don't know. I'll get rid of anything. But, I mean, how did you enjoy your time at Wednesday? Again, another... I'd like to call them one of the team of the nineties because they, you know, both throughout there, they, they achieved a lot. Obviously before your time, they'd won the, the league cup, but they always seem to be there and thereabouts and quite an entertaining team. How did you enjoy your time at, at Hillsborough? Yeah, no, um, I think I had four and a half years there as a player. I signed there, I think I was just about 29. Um, you know, so uh, still able to, Sorry, is that, that's, that's all right. Okay, we've got. I've got a dog bark, and they're all joining in the fun. It's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's it, it gave me out of those four years, four and a half years. I was probably three and a half, three three and a half of continuous Premier League football. I was in the side. Yeah, you know. So best experience from that point of view, playing top level football in a side that had had no 
Uh, to say I had no stars would be wrong, but mm. we're, we're all team players. Yeah. You know, yeah. Des Walker, um, Chris Waddle, Chris Woods, John Sheridan. Um, you know, there was some, you know, that's Andy Sinton, QPR days. Yeah. yeah. Lots of know, there Andy. Was some great, great players there. Um, you know, and um, an old adage comes back is when you, when you leave a club, don't say anything bad about a manager. <laughs> Because Ron Atkinson came in. He did, coach. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so you've got to remember, you know, you've got to, you know, just say, no, I enjoyed myself there, no matter how you feel about things. <laughs> um, but obviously, my, my, my probably most successful time, Trevor Francis signed me. Um, and it was in a deal because when um, uh, Brian Little took over Aston Villa, he wanted Ian Taylor from Sheffield Wednesday. Oh, okay. So that made me part of the deal because yep. Trevor Francis tried to get me 18 months earlier. So that's how that worked out. And um, yeah, after Trevor Francis went, David Pleat came in and yeah, then there was uh, those probably two complete seasons, two and a half seasons of regular first team football. And, and David Pleat actually converted me to a, a, I wouldn't say a right winger. And my nickname at Sheffield Wednesday was Jinky because I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> so they used to call me Jinky because uh, I was put out on the right wing, right midfield as I call it. But his his and I talk about it now, I see him regularly at, uh, when I go to the academy at Spurs. Um, he said to me, in front of a few people once, he said to me, uh, Guy Whittingham, what a player. He said, one of the first on the team sheet, you'd never get relegated by, with Guy Whittingham in your team, but you'd never get promoted. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but you will get bucket loads of goals in fact. Yeah, listen, yeah. I was happy with that. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't mind that whatsoever. That's fine. Yeah. No problem yeah. at all. Was he a decent uh, yeah, manager for you? Yeah, of course, because he played me regular. You know, yeah. once he convinced me that right midfield was a place position I could play, um, you know, I, I had, a, had a long time in the team and enjoyed my time in the team playing regular football, all these great stadiums, again, you know, a lot of a lot of people in them playing at the very highest level you could in this country was, was fantastic. And he felt it was an opportunity, um, you know, to get another striker in the box. Yeah. Who, who sort of knew where the goal was once you're in the 18 yard box and that's, he saw, and I was, a, I was obviously generally still quite fit then. So able to get up and down on that right hand side, you know, and get to the far post and get back and defend at the far post was something that he wanted me to do. What were Benito Carboni and were you there when Canio came in as well? What were what were they like as teammates, right? And and you know, in the changing rooms because obviously they were such a, a different culture than the, the nature of the league was yeah. obviously changing as I well. Think and, I think it's interesting when you come up against different cultures. Obviously, I'd experienced you know the Irish culture if you yeah. like at Villa, <laughs> but then um, there were a couple of German guys there, but those were the first experience. Uh, Dan Potescu, uh, yeah, Sheffield yeah. Wednesday before he went on to. Um, uh, before he went on to Chelsea, um, was was the first sort of different international yeah. foreigner I've come across. And he was a really good guy. Um, Italians are, are different, obviously, we know that. Yeah. Um, and these two guys were um they were they were all about themselves, which is which is fair enough. Um I wouldn't so much say they were out and out team players, but I think the understanding, especially with Decanio, was that listen? We'll do your running for you. Yeah, you make sure you create stuff when you're on the ball. That's what you got to do. And Caboni was a bit, little bit like that. Um, but yeah, listen, they, you know, they're they're a different culture, and you try and understand the culture. But it was it, it was about them. Mm. But we knew that if them as the individuals were doing well, we as the team would do well for them. 
not to not to put you on the spot, but would you say that Di Canio was the better player out of the two, or would you? At, at the time, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think he brought more to the team. Right. Yeah. yeah. Were you there during um, the whole Paul Alcock situation? Were you? Did you? Yeah, were you at the? Were you on loan? Were I, you at the... I was on the bench. You were the, oh, you were on the bench. <laughs> so you had a good view of it. Then. Good, I was good... on the bench right in front of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah brilliant. What do you make? I mean, it's it's obviously now we look on it and we laugh because it's quite com- comical. But at the time, imagine if Twitter was about as well. I always think. Yeah, I think. Cool, it, yeah. I think the internet would actually explode. But what, what did you make of it? And what was Paolo like after the game as well? It, yeah, we didn't see him after the game. He'd already cleared off. <laughs> <laughs> you never he, saw him I again, did he, you? No, no. Virtually never saw him again. Yeah. Um, obviously, the, what we laughed at as players, rightly or wrongly, was, was Winterburn's reaction. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Love you know, that. big and mouthy. And then, and then there's a little thing. He's like that. Ooh, yeah. don't do that. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I always know yeah, that. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, and obviously, you know, it was it was the wrong, but that's, you know, that's the type of people the Italians are, aren't they? They've got that mentality yeah. to explode like that. But that what's made that is what made Paolo Di Canio the player he was, and obviously he went on to West Ham and had a, you know, great time there. Mm-hmm. Um, Guy, before we let you go, so I'm, you know, you've been precious with your time. I, I, you've played with a lot of strikers. We've met a lot of players there. Who who did you enjoy playing with most? Because Obviously, that era was all about. I know you said you moved to the right, but most of the time you would play two strikers up front. Who, yeah. who did you enjoy playing alongside the most? Obviously, Paul Walsh. Yeah, you, know, you, you never forget those relationships you have with strikers. Um, myself and Dwight, I think we really enjoyed playing together, mostly in the reserves. Yeah, um, but I think you know we we had an understanding because. As you said, two up front is is you know it's coming back a bit into the game now. Slightly, with, yeah. With, with teams playing at you know vo- versions of four four two or mm. versions of three five two, um, but not as much. Um, and you, that's that's the thing about you know pairings in those days is striking up that relationship. So yeah. no matter where you were, you had you had a sense of where the other person was, you know, and 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 willing, and willing off the ball stuff to get your mate in. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think Hursty Hursty was a bit similar at Sheffield yeah. Wednesday. Good player. Dean Saunders was just a workaholic on the pitch, absolute workaholic. Mm. Who, who, for anyone who listens to this, and I'm probably there's probably the minority who doesn't remember too much of the '90s. Why are you listening? But thank you anyway. But I, wh- how would guy? <laughs> how would you compare yourself to a modern day strike? Like who? What sort of player were you for those? Because in my memories, you were you first of all, you were fox in the box, and I, then I remember you going quite wide and then sort of adapted to your game but who do you think now goes oh I played a bit like him is there anyone around um well I'm seeing him every week at the moment but but David Hurst's son George oh okay really? at the moment, yeah. you know he's at, he's at uh, Leicester yeah uh, on loan to us but he just he's, he's on loan mm. but he's I think his endeavor his work weight his desire yeah. um his confidence is built so he's having some great finishes now Obviously, you know, got a great dad to follow and probably learned all off him, not, not me for sure. Um, in, in the modern game, I suppose, um, you know, Fox, I, I don't think the modern striker is trained as much as a Fox in the box anymore. Yeah. You know, as a lone striker coming through the academy, you have to have a really good all-round game. Yeah. Um, you know, whereas I was feeding off maybe mistakes by defenders, you know, six-yard bod stuff. Um, although there are goals scored from those sort of places now and always will be, I don't think there's a, a predator that's 
Probably I love that like kind that of striker so though. Yeah. I like, didn't you, Ed? Like, I think that yeah, is that an era thing. Like, I think at QPR we had kind of guys like Bradley Allen and then Gary Penrice, who were kind of that kind of you know they wouldn't do much else, but yeah. in that six yard yeah, box, yeah, yeah. you know they were. You know, yeah. Les was a different breed, but he was a different breed to a lot of players in that era, let alone in that team, Les Ferdinand. But uh, that fox in the box, I think we kind of lose that in the modern game a little bit. I think I think there's more demands yeah. on players now. Yeah, um, yeah between definitely. between boxes. You know, seven foot. When I was when I was playing with Walsh, especially with Walsh, Jim Smith not used to tell me, "Get it, give it, get in the box." That was yeah. it. Yeah. Don't get involved in the build-up. You just get ready for the ball over the top yeah. or the cross. That's what I want you to be able to do. Um, and I think in modern-day strikers have to have more around their game now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there doesn't seem to be as many strikers in the modern day no. as there were in past. So if you take, if you actually take at the moment, you've got Liverpool and City obviously battling out at the top of the Premier League and they're arguably probably the best two teams in Europe. Liverpool have, like, say, a Firmino or a, a Jota. They actually almost play with their back to goals or actually feed in other people. Yeah. And City don't... Don't have a striker. Don't, City don't have a striker, but they still manage to sort of put four past um, yeah. Real Madrid, you know, and stuff like that. So, yeah. you know, that I mean, Harry Kane is the obvious example. But then Harry he's Kane's involved. The and he's involved yeah. himself, isn't he? he like... So I think that's a good point. That, that There's not that... I mean, I love the fact think, that box um, in a box is a, is a phrase and we all know what it means. <laughs> yeah, it's very football. I phrase, think Kane's yeah. got that in his game, though, isn't he? He's got yeah. the ability to score from anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. You know, mm. he can sniff out a goal and he can score from 30 yards, you know. Um, mm. Antonio, I suppose, was another one, lone striker that you yeah. know, maybe led yeah. the line well. Uh, he's gone off his game a little bit now, I suppose. Um, Vardy, Vardy being another one. Yeah. yeah, he's, you know, yeah. I think, he, you know, he's maybe one of those that, you know, it looks the way that Leicester played, but certainly when they won the title was was that, you know, ball over the top for him. Yeah. How many occasions yeah. did, did he score from those sort of one-on-ones with the goalkeepers? You don't see many of those now. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Damn the evolution of football, guy. That's what I said. <laughs> bring, bring back the fox in the fox. Um, It'll come go, back. It'll go, come back. It's, it'll it goes back. around in circles, doesn't yeah. it? It'll come we, back. Before we, go, we always kind of finish on this note. Um, for you, the 90s, what, what's the moment it changed? Because we always, we always hark on about it's the decade that changed football, you know, I say that if you took a snapshot from 90 and 99, it's all very different for you wow. to finish on. What is the moment that you kind of noticed that the football was evolving, was changing? Was there a certain season or moment that you kind of thought, yeah, this is different? Yeah, I think it, I was at Sheffield Wednesday at the time, obviously going to say that. And towards the end of the career, the, the 99 area, 98, 99, when started to look more abroad mm. from the Dutch players coming in, you start thinking, this is, this is more global now. Yeah. Because you'd had you'd had internationals, but they've been you know home countries. Yeah, you know your Ireland, your Scotland, um, your Wales players in your squad. But then there were more and more foreign players coming coming to this country. They bought Vim Young, didn't they? If I remember Vim rightly, Yong, yeah. yeah, and Bob Bob the Builder. Bob, yeah, Jill's the, the Builder. builder yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, so that that was probably looking back now. That was a significant bit for me, where you're thinking there's more foreign players coming in this country now that want to play in this country. This this league is going to get bigger. Yes. Yeah. Well, guy, um, thank you very much. It's been a it's been a pleasure looking back on those years. Um, I think we're going to start hashtag Fox in the Box to to bring back that um, <laughs> on a permanent basis. So, uh, thank you very much for joining us. Ash, Ed, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. It's it's Thanks, nice guys. to be uh, you know to be um, 
remembered. Oh, you're very much remembered. And we'll be sort of not cheering Mitrovic for the last two games of the season. Hoping he misses <laughs> Thanks, every, guys. every strong target. Yeah, I mean, as a QPR <laughs> fan, I should hope that anyway. But Fulham have far yeah. gone up already. So yeah. uh, thank you very much, guys. Cheers. Thanks, guys.